Hello, witchy friends. Welcome to Cat's Tea and Witchcraft. My name is Fauna, and I am your host. This podcast is for those who are Wiccan, witches, and everything in between. Don't forget to follow the podcast social media pages at Cat's Tea and Witchcraft on Instagram, Cat's Tea and Witch on Twitter, and Cat's Tea and Witchcraft Podcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to Cat's Tea and Witchcraft, and enjoy the episode. Hello, witchy peeps. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 112, and today's topic is about art or creativity within the craft. I know we've talked about this before in different capacities and different ways, and even last episode on the Not Magic or Chord Magic episode, I talked about different creative ways you can use chords or making knots within your spells or different ways within your craft. So today we are going to be talking to a repeat guest on the topic. It was initiated by a blog post that they wrote and it's going to be Marshall from the podcast Southern Bramble. He is one of the co-hosts and also he is known as the Witch of Southern Light and we've spoken to him before in a previous episode. But before we get into that topic today, we have today's crystal or stone which is Tiger's Eye. The first book that I have to reference is The Essential Guide to Crystals and starting on page 70. It says, Tiger's Eye, a member of the quartz family. Tiger's Eye consists of fibers of common rock-forming mineral amphibial, which usually the variety known as crocodilite, embedded in quartz in highly packed bands. For identification and care, it says, as light reflects off the fibers in the stone, the silky stripes of brown and gold seem to move and change. Round Cabochons allow the maximum play of light and are often used in jewelry. Says the sheen depends upon the angle of cut and the blue-green shade of falcon's eye is often more subtle than that of tiger's eye. For magic, it protects against the evil eye, demons, and witchcraft, diverts unwanted energy, confuses your opposition, for healing functions, releases stuck or congested states in the digestion or in the mind at times where thought processes are confused, smooths both physical and mentally, builds confidence, encourages contact with other people. For practical ideas, it says to activate practical energy, place tiger's eye on the root, sacral, or solar plexus chakra to stimulate communication in the flow of ideas, Place blue falcon's eye on the brow and throat chakras. For keywords, it says practicability, sociability, and realism. Now I have the second source, and that's Simply Crystals, and that starts on page 111. And it says, tiger's eye is usually yellow or amber brown with a striped appearance, but blue, gold, and red stones are also available. Sources include South Africa, Mexico, India, Australia, and the United States. This crystal was at one time known as Oculus Beely or Crocodilite. There is also a type known as Hawk's Eye. The most common version of Tiger's Eye is the amber brown one, but other colors are quite readily obtainable, often as small tumbled stones. Tiger's Eye is an excellent energizing and protective stone, effective as a good luck charm or an amulet. It also possesses many healing qualities. 
The next source that I have is Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Crystal Gem in Metal Magic. And this one starts at the way bottom of 167 and moves on to 168 and says Tiger's Eye, energy, projective, planet, sun, element, fire, associated metal, gold, powers, money, protection, courage, energy, luck, and divination. For magical ritual and lore, it says Roman soldiers wore tiger's eye engraved with symbols for protection during battle. For magical uses, it says tiger's eye is a fine stone for promoting wealth and money. A simple money spell involves empowering several tiger's eye with your need for money. Use them to surround a green candle. Light the candle and visualize. They are also carried for protection against all forms of danger. A tiger's eye cabochon set in gold is a fine protective ring or pendant ruled by the sun and possessing a golden flash of light tiger's eye is worn to strengthen convictions and create courage and confidence this is a warm stone and it promotes energy flow through the body when worn it is also beneficial for the weak or sick sit outside on a sunny day hold a tiger's eye in your hands and gaze at the flashes of light Still your conscious mind and look into the future or use the stone as a tool to delve into past lives. The next source I have is Love is in the Earth and starting on page 645. It says Tiger's Eye. Tiger's Eye is a quartz replacement of crocodilite, blue asbestos, or of gold asbestos. It differs from cat's eye with respect to the configuration of the fibers. The fibers are twisted or crumpled instead of straight. It exhibits the quality of chadioyancy due to the reflection of light by the fibrous structure. The color range includes red, brown, gold, cream, black, and blue. This mineral brings together the vibrations of sand and sunlight, synthesizing the energies of the sun and the earth. It combines sharpness and grounding and is quite practical in its sphere of concern. It resonates to the frequencies of the earth, encouraging stability with the dynamic beauty. The vibration is conductive to peacefulness and stimulates the actions required to advance the encounters with others during the meditative state. It is helpful for individuals seeking clarity for those who must deal intellectually with these scattered details which must be brought together into some pattern. It can be used to enhance the psychic abilities and to assist in gentle attunement of the third eye activity, this stone being best adapted to earthy people. That is all I'm going to read out of this book today for Tiger's Eye. There's a lot more, but like I said, if you're interested in reading more on these books, see if you could possibly find a copy of your own. This book might be a little bit more on the expensive side, but I would encourage you to see if there are pre-owned versions of it. I don't know if it is currently still in print. I've had mine a little over a decade and I probably purchased it towards the end of its run date or I just got lucky. Looking at the prices now, it, like I said, it is a little expensive, but if you can get a used copy, that would be really good because this book literally has over 700 pages of information on different crystals and it's alphabetized from A to Z. So I have one more source and that's going to be from Llewellyn's Complete Book of Correspondence. Starting on page 248, it says Tiger's Eye. Solar System, Sun. Celebration, Letha. Energy, Yang. Tarot, Magician, and the Sun. For chakras, brow, crown, sacral, solar plexus, and throat. For zodiac, Capricorn, Gemini, and Leo. 
Day, Sunday, Element, Fire, Number, Four, Goddess, Bass, God, Ra. For Issues, Intentions, and Powers, Abundance, Acceptance, Balance, Battle and War, Beauty, Calm, Cheerfulness, Clarity, Communication, Community, Confidence, Courage, Creativity, Danger, Desire, Divination, Empowerment, Energy, Fear, Goodness, Grounding, Harmony, Healing, Insight, Inspiration, Integrity, Intelligence, Introspection, Loss, Luck, Animal Magic, Manifestation, The Mind, Money in Collection of Debts, Needs, Pleasure, Prophecy, Prosperity, Protection, Psychic Ability, Purification, Purpose, Rebirth and Renewal, Respect, Security, Self-Work, The Senses of Sight, Skills, Stimulation, Strength, Stress, Business Success, Travel, Truth, Visions, Wealth, Mental Well-Being, Willpower, Wisdom, and Youth. That is all I have for you today on Tiger's Eye. Now into today's interview. Okay, everybody, like I said in the intro for the episode, we have a repeat guest here today. Hello, everyone. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light, uh, your Texas traditional folkloric witch coming at you, obviously from Texas. <laughs> so like I said, uh, Marshall is a repeat guest, and you were on an episode, I think it was about spiritual bypassing, if I'm correct. Yes, that was a really cathartic episode, actually. It was it was great. It was great to speak about it because I don't think I'd have actually had the opportunity to share some of my past. And then I listened back to it because uh, I like to hear hear myself process sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like I said, very cathartic. Um, I would definitely recommend people check that out because our community is sacred and rife with, um, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of spiritual bypassing, and we got to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, exactly. And even recently, I found myself, I recently re-listened to the episode as well, because I was talking actually to my sister just about things and just spirituality and stuff. And there were just things because she's diving down that TikTok um, and social media thing. And she's not a witch or anything, but she'll ask me questions because she knows what I'm involved with and everything. So she'll ask me questions. And uh, so there are some things that she was just kind of mentioning or different things. And I was like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But also beware of this. Because you can definitely fall down a really weird rabbit hole very easily mm-hmm. if you um, don't do your due diligence and really dig deep into things before you dive too deep, especially yeah. when you emotionally dive into them. Yeah. So, uh, But yeah, today we are not talking about spiritual bypassing. We are <laughs> actually going to be talking about something a little bit more fun, and it's going to be involving just art and creativity, our experiences with that. And it was inspired by a blog post that Marshall has recently written on. Um, the, the blog's uh, relatively new, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's only about, um, I want to say like five weeks old. Yeah, I remember you uh, making a tweet about it and saying that you what you have to get an approval process for uh, Pathios. Yes. Okay. I actually st- I started the blog. It's Southern Light Diaries on Pathios Pagan, and I started it. Um, I want to say uh, before the holidays of last year on a mm-hmm. Tumblr. Um, I'd reached out a couple different places. I had a very specific blog that I I'd written something that that I felt like 
I want eyes on this. I want people to read it. And, and I kind of shopped it around. I heard from no one. Mm. Mind you, it was the holidays. I get that. Yeah. Um, but I heard back from finally, and I was able to move a couple of the ones I'd already written. And now I have, I'm thinking about five, five blogs deep on Pathios. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Sometimes... Sometimes I'm I'm trying to figure out what I want to say because I have so much, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't always know how to put it to words yet. Yeah, but uh, yeah, like I was saying, the specific one you wrote was called Magic and Art, and it kind of goes over just the idea of just magic in general, of course, but also like religious art and different yeah. things that can be derived and studied, and how it could emotionally make us feel and how we connect to it as well. Absolutely, you know, I think when people hear the word art. A lot of people will just envision a painting. They'll envision usually a painting or a drawing of some kind. And I want to make sure that when people are thinking of the the term, the verbiage art, it is so much more expansive. Literature is art. Poetry is art. Storytales are art. Um, Paintings, sculptures, architecture. There is art surrounding us on our daily lives. And it absolutely influences us on ways that we may not even realize. Like, this is kind of silly and i've heard this said before when it comes to things like sigils the mcdonald's double arches immediately mm-hmm. will make my mouth water i will i will smell the salted fries when i see that Ooh, and, the and salt. that's it that's on purpose that yeah. is there very clearly to inspire a type of of i wouldn't say it's an emotional reaction but it's a physical reaction it's a craving Exactly. I've caught myself uh, craving some McDonald's French fries and a Big Mac recently because I've actually cut myself off of fast food. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I, I feel I, you. I've been feeling that recently. <laughs> but yeah, so different types of creativity can definitely inspire different feelings and emotions. us. And some people who might not have been exposed to it or might not really be into art or certain creativities. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes they're like, well, it's just a picture, just a painting, or it's just a book. Like, how do so many people get so emotionally invested and so just in general emotional when they see art, they see things when it's if it's from architecture to paintings to books and writing and poetry. That's how humans have expressed themselves and also information for thousands of years now in various forms. Before there was written text and alphabets, we had pictures and pictographs and cave art in different forms of creativity through dance and all the things we have slowly been continuing to find and older and older ones are showing up too so it's nothing new to what humans are absolutely i i love that you just mentioned dance too because when we get to into what i want to talk about the pivotal role that dance has actually also played in our craft yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons why I was, I was thinking about that is some of the older things is the different statues we find. If it's from the Greek and Roman all the way back to the older days of that, where we find the um, sculptures of what we perceive and think might be goddesses and the, uh, was it the um, Venus of Willendorf? Um, I'm probably mispronouncing that. I learned about that in art school. And even though they're thinking it was used for religious or for ter- fertility things, it's still a form of creativity and art that was worshipped and honored and connected to humans one way or another. And it, we could see it throughout human history. And no matter who we are, we do have emotions, even though some people pride themselves in being controlled proper people. 
But having these emotions and connecting to things through art can definitely be used within witchcraft since we're witches. So we'll definitely dive into that as well because not everyone is a religious witch. So sorry for those who might not connect to things like that religiously. But you can still use creativity within your witchcraft too. And like Marsha was saying, there's sigils and you can draw or doodle or write or whatever. If it's dance or singing, there's those different forms of creativity. So just off the top of your head, what are some of your favorite things to do within your craft that are creative? Oh, that's a tough one because everything in my craft feels like it's 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 sprung from a place of creativity. Yeah, um, and even in your professional life, you work with your hands, right? I do. I'm a hairstylist for yeah. by trade, and and I'm, I'm working creative. with with color theory, with geometric shapes when I cut. Um, when when I think about my craft, I think a lot of times not just about the natural world, um, but all the things that come from it. Uh, so a lot of times I picture, just, just picturing things in my mind, uh, I, I see them as artistic paintings. I see them uh, as sculptures. I actually, this, this happened, I, I want to say, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, I was walking one of the trails over where I live, and an artist, a local artist, had put up these like six to eight feet tall metal statues down this this walkway mm -hmm. and they were all dedicated to the stray cats that are known to kind of be around that area it's a seven mile walk and there's lots of cats and i remember walking by this and just thinking like i don't even know for sure that that's what they meant to do but all of them were very cat and feline like and they were very abstract and mm -hmm. and i felt like i was experiencing something that a, as a witch and and um as a pagan and someone who identifies as such, I feel like I like to look at everything in multiple layers. And I felt like what I was seeing was a, a very, a very pagan inspired uh, form of art to honor the spirits, the cats that have come and gone, that have always lived and been a part of this trail. And, and it, I feel like people see things like that and it doesn't register unless it's a statue of Venus, unless it's a statue of Zeus, mm -hmm. unless it's, unless it is something that is in your face, iconography. Yeah. Sometimes that really gets missed. And I think when we start taking a step back and, and looking at the art that is in our life and let's just go, let's be really, really uh, superficial about it. Let's talk about paintings and drawings for a second. Um, in the article that you brought up that I wrote, uh, I wrote about the lady who watches Mm -hmm. um, if you ever go check it out, you can see it on my page or you can see it on the Southern Light Diaries. In this article, I have um, a picture that I drew when I was younger and then I recreated it when I was much older. And it has a really fantastic story that I didn't understand was being written as I lived it. It was a, a picture of a woman that I drew when I was in middle school and my mom loved it. She had it framed. She put it on the wall and it was there for years. And then uh, eventually, you know, I moved out and my parents ended up divorcing and separating, downsizing. And my mom asked if I wanted it. I, I took it. I got into, into digital art and I wanted to recreate it and have something a little bit more updated. And the more I worked on it, the more as an adult, I got to see all of these, I'm having a hard time picking the word, um, intricacies of the detail mm -hmm. of this of this woman, her eyes, her hair, um, the things that were in it. And when I hung it up on the wall, there was just something for me that was so moving. And I, for the first time, was extremely aware of the fact that this lady has been watching me almost my entire life. She watched over my family. 
She watched over me as I went from a middle schooler to a high schooler to moving out at 19. She watched over my parents as, well, as their, you know, their marriage dissolved. She watched over me as I, I took it in. And, and now I've given a print to my mom. So she watches over my mom. And I think a lot of people already have art, drawings, visualizations within their home, their workplace, a place they frequent regularly. And they may stop to admire it sometime. But how many times do we stop and think, how many people have looked at this? How many people have say the person or people within this painting seen are there secrets there are there ideas there if i were to take more time to get to know a painting that has been in my life for a long time i start to realize just how close i am to this person and how close she is to me when i think of the lady who watches to this mm -hmm. day she's she right behind me and she's watching this interview so i i think of her very much as a guardian of my home um a spirit with a place to to be to watch to see and witness everything. It doesn't always have to have a purpose. And I think a lot of times people think magic, witchcraft has to have a very succinct, measurable purpose. And I think that misses the beauty of what it means to be a witch, just to sometimes be the observer. Yeah, that, that's really awesome. I actually have it up right now and I'm going to be linking this, um, the post in the uh, the episode description and everything. So everyone will be able to see it. Ooh, cool. And um, they'll be able to, I'm, for those who are listening, while you're listening to this, if you can pull it up so you can see what he's talking about this picture, you could see the older version of the hand-drawn one from when Marshall was younger to the newer digital one. And it, I can definitely see like why you call her the lady who watches. She, just, she's, she's watching. She's just watching. Yeah. And then her hair and everything is just very, very beautiful. It's funny because when I was a small child, if you, I mean, getting into some details here, but if you look at the original, it was a grid drawing. It was one of those where you take a small, you know, like a picture you find in a magazine or something. You take a small version of it and then you draw, a, say, like a half inch grid by half mm -hmm. inch grid. And then on a large poster board, you draw like a four inch grid four inch yeah. by four inch square grid. And then you only get to do each square at a time. And so the detail of it like if you take a step back and look like the eyes are actually a little wonky and the eyebrow isn't quite the right but at the same time it was very clear that that was the way it was always meant to be mm -hmm. and and you could chalk it up to me being 13 or you could chalk it up to the fact that i was putting something in there that i didn't yet know was meant to be but yeah that's awesome but for those who are listening just as someone who also works with art and is creative creative and everything went to art school, stood art as a very young child in the process of connecting it, how it makes you feel. For me, when I do my art and even how it slowly creeps into like my craft and everything, I, for my like altar and for my deity pieces, I like to burn images of them. I don't always create the original images of them, but I will take a stencil of it just because it's for personal use mm -hmm. and I will burn it into like a plank of wood. Sometimes I add details and like gold flaking and stuff with it. But for me, I almost like the wood aspect better than buying one of those standard typical deity statues that you can get online. There's nothing wrong with getting those. One, I think they're a little too expensive for no reason. But having that personal touch, the imperfections and the perfections of it are so beautiful. And I think for me in how I practice my craft, I feel like it gives it a little more strength. It gives it a little more personal and almost... 
I feel that at when I was creating these, these also became an offering as well in the dedication and the me trying to honor the gods that I work with. And, um, but also it's just a, in general, the little things I create. Yeah, exactly. And I look at them and I'm like, I'm so glad I did them and they're not perfect. Like I'm, I'm not an expert at wood burning, but with the little details I did put into it, I thought that I chose the things that I wanted to emphasize because I created it myself. I could emphasize if I wanted to emphasize parts of Odin's outfit or with hell or with any other deity that I may work with if I create them in the future. Cause I'm also planning on like, if I do special things or I want to work with a specific deity, I might make a mini version of it so I can have it for like a traveling altar or if I'm doing a small one for a solstice or a Sabbath. So there's all these different things that for me, how I create it a little personal, but also I'm adding a little more energy into it. I'm building that relationship with myself, but also with the deities. And like you said, the devotional part of it. And it's hard to sometimes have a daily devotion because life gets in the way. And so I feel that the creative things that I try to offer and with the candles and the things I do to like oomph them up can be creative in their own way. And not just with a spell, but just the act of taking care of it and making it a little more personal than just popping it off the shelf and to put it in your cart and then putting it on your desk. So that's one of the things. And then all the other little things, just because like the stuff I do for the podcast and have, I do graphic design professionally, but the stuff I do, I just do it real quick on my iPad and I feel like I half-ass it for the podcast. But in general, it's still (laughs) a creative process. And that's one of the reasons I've actually been doing this season the the uh, crystals and posting the pictures of it and hand drawing them and giving them kind of a cool kind of feeling even though it's kind of simple and it really doesn't take me long to do them I feel like it is still a creative way of helping me memorize things but also giving me a visual but also just that creative energy that goes into learning but also the magic that can come from creating anything even if it's digital Absolutely. I actually, a huge portion of, of my art is digital and, and I got to, this has been super fun. I got to really play around with, with Procreate and, Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to make digital art and all of the illustrations in my upcoming Mm -hmm. book were done by me using digital art. So that Mm -hmm. was one of the ways that just really absolutely pushed me in a completely new direction with with how I want to how I want to depict and illustrate uh, what my craft is and where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, with the digital and maybe any other creative things that you do, mm-hmm. how would you think someone who's interested in just from your style of witchcraft um, mm-hmm. would be different things for them to maybe dip their toes in that might be creative besides the obvious, like? drawing or stuff like that like what would be something a little bit different that might connect with people because if they don't feel like they're good at drawing and you don't have to be good at drawing to draw absolutely things that people might do um that might give that inspiration beyond the obvious things that people might think you know I'm, i'm a huge fan of the art of storytelling and um i learned about the term folkloric witch from aaron oberon the author of southern cunning And it was one of those things that really opened up my mind about what I could do with my craft that I didn't understand was, was um, available or real, you know? Um, I think one of the many ways that, that we as practitioners can kind of expand out of what is the most obvious is start thinking about the art of the story 
and the way a story makes you feel, the way the characters that are in these stories. Um, I'm an animist. I see spirit in everything. So when you write a story or when you read a story, you have the ability to connect with these characters, to connect with the themes, the spirit that's behind it. So say, I, I know, um, say you take an old Grimm's Brothers fairy tale, right? Um, you could read one of those and connect a little bit with some of these characters. Some of them are really funky. They are scary. Mm -hmm. They can be inappropriate. Like a lot of the original fairy tales are actually extremely um, sometimes violent uh, towards children. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. And, and they are not these, these pretty fairy tales that I think a lot of people have come to know from Disney. And I think if we take a moment to step back and think about the spirits that are in these stories that could be telling us and sharing with us ways to build a craft around those tales. Um, if you if you would like to write your own, you can, of course, but if you don't feel so inclined, um, I would recommend people go out and look into um, poetry, famous poetry, lost poetry, uh, read things and, and short stories that you feel like you can connect to that cause you to have this emotional excitement and think about what it's exciting in you. Cause I know I have read lots of fictional witch or witch adjacent tales and they have deeply inspired aspects of the craft for me. Um, there's a fantastic book series. The first one's called dead, Witch walking by Kim Harrison. And the whole series is called the hollows or the Rachel Morgan series. That's the main character. And I won't get too much into the whole background of it, but there are so many little instances of things this character does as a witch that I'm like, oh my gosh, I could totally do that in my craft. So yeah. um, you, uh, using chalk and, and uh, uh, slate plates to draw sigils and do candle craft over. Mm -hmm. That was actually something that I, I got from that book and then started to see popping up everywhere. You know, um, a lot of these ideas are, are all flowing from a single channel. So many of us start having them around the same time, especially when it's all kind of coming from a similar stream. I think that's a really, really cool thing. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, uh, I wouldn't th have thought of using chalk in that sort of way, but also, like, that just off the top of my head, like, if someone has either a chalkboard or if it's a mm -hmm. plate of chalk or if people will paint, like, a wall with, like, the chalkboard paint. Yes. Just imagine what sort of magic or sigils you could do with that. Like, well, you know, how simple you could do it. Or just on your driveway yes. or on your front, whatever. Like, if you can mm -hmm. use chalk on it, use chalk on it. Like, it could be as simple as just doing protective sigils or symbols and anything else. Um, I actually have a slate cheese plate that I keep on my... Slate, got it. Yeah, I, I, I keep that on my uh, uh, altar. And I painted it with chalk paint, but a lot of times um, it gets so dirty and I just kind of like get wax all it was like well i don't want to always have to like wipe off my whole altar every time mm -hmm. so i got this simple slate cheese plate and a thing of chalk and i just either put it in the dishwasher or get some florida water on there wipe it away um it also creates a safe place to burn things with fire safety fire safety mm -hmm. is always a number one must cool like that's really mm -hmm. cool and and that is a creative way and also just with problem solving and things that i think are really important that people like you said for safety reasons you don't mm -hmm. have to do things that are completely obvious with a little bit of a experimenting and maybe a little thrifting or going to like tj maxx or something you can always yeah. find some really cool little things to oomph up one what your altar looks like but also usability but also you could use it like you said we use it with chalk so there's so many different things we can do creative that aren't just like 
drawing a picture or doing a painting. And I feel like that's important. Absolutely. You know, I want to talk about a little bit, if it's okay to move into, I'd mm-hmm. love to talk a little bit about narrative witchcraft. Yeah, that's is kind that of something? what I was thinking of moving Excellent. into. Excellent. Okay. Um, I think this is something that is really, really not prevalent within the scene right now. Uh, the concept of narrative witchcraft is that the charms or rites that you're doing, a lot of times they're spoken charms and they're mm-hmm. inspired. And, and the way that I use them now is actually inspired by something older, which I'll get into. But um, the concept is that it is a story, whether it comes from a larger story or it's a much smaller story within a charm. So there is um, an, a very old charm that comes from, I want to say, uh, North Northwestern Europe. Uh, it helps to heal someone who has a flesh wound or a burn Mm -hmm. so let's say you're cooking and you burn your hand and you go to the local cunning woman and she she or he would um put their hands over you and they would say uh probably muttering under their breath because it's not for the world to hear it's for them to say they would say something like three angels came from the east uh one uh, two two brought frost one brought fire uh, out fire in frost in frost in the name of the father son and holy ghost mm-hmm. and mind you a lot of these old cunning charms of course were done um with a christian perspective protestant mm-hmm. or catholic perspective because that was the people who were using them and a lot of times cut the cunning folk whether they believed in this religious aspect or not they worked the magic that the folk believed in so um that's one of the things i found fascinating they had to be creative learning. with it they, they had to be creative and to be perfectly honest many of them uh would have absolutely identified as Christians. So yep. I don't want to, I don't want to negate that at all. But um, there was something, I'm not sure if anyone's ever read, but I have one of my favorite books by Gemma Gary is The Black Toad. Have you ever read that one by chance? No, not that one specifically. Um, it's a grimoire of sorts and it's from 2016, I believe was published. And the concept is, is, West country witchcraft like Cornwall and Devon over in the West of England. Mm-hmm. And it, it breaks down the book by three, by three main sections, old mother, red cap, old mother, green cap and old mother, black cap. And what's really fascinating is there's these really fan, really cool line drawings that Gemma does. And when you open it, you see this, this visage of a, a, veiled woman working the nine knot uh uh witch's ladder spell mm-hmm. and you don't see her face you just you clearly know that this is a cunning woman who is working a bit of magic and it's the art that accompanies this chapter and this chapter has no names it has no life story all it is is a collection of charms that have existed within the west country um and used by by cunning folk and witches and this chapter specifically is about spells and charms. Mm-hmm. The second chapter is Old Mother Green Cap, and it really focuses on uh, herbal remedies, herbal magic, trees, bushes, but a lot of really big focusing on herbal, herbal magic and healing. And then the third section is Old Mother Black Cap, and this one definitely has a very different vibe to it. It's thorny, it's darker. Um, and it's all folk. It's focused majoritively on curse rites and hexes and like legitimate ones that mm-hmm. that we have documentation of being done by the Pellars of the past. And the thing is, is this book isn't saying that these three specific people existed, 
they are inspirations. Now, the term Old Mother Redcap was actually a, a very famous name for um, one, I know a very specific cunning woman, but also became very popular term uh, across the board for a type of cunning woman. And sometimes mm-hmm. they would be known in local villages back in the day because they'd wear a red cape and that red yeah. cape would kind of stand out and they got the, the reputation of, oh, mother, got oh, mother red cap, she'll take care of you. She's got the charms. Mm-hmm. Um, and funny enough, when interviewing Gemma, she told me more so about the fact that old mother green cap came from a saying that was inspired by red cap, but then was said by Cecil Williamson. And then I think she completely came up with the concept of Black Blackcap to put this this three-section book together. Mm-hmm. And I was so deeply, ins- I mean, like, I was so, so deeply moved by these images and this concept of these archetypal figures and the virtues they carry based off of their coloring and their 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 attributes. Mm-hmm. And I, I sought to write, I was like, there's got to be a bigger story there. There is something much deeper there. So in my book, there is three stories and three characters. Um, one's called Our Mother in Red, and this character is a charmer. I, I, I named her Belinda. Don't ask me where the name came from. I won't <laughs> be able to tell you. But she's a fascinating woman, and she seems to kind of pop up whenever a character is in need of some sort of possible magical intervention. Sometimes they don't even know it. And she pops up ready to help them if they're willing to take it. And writing this story was, uh, it was, it's such a weird thing to talk about because it's hard to explain where they came from. Um, Some of them are inspired by things that I see around me, but writing about her and giving her a life, building this concept, this spirit, she she kind of took on a life outside of what I was just writing for her. And mm-hmm. instead, she seemed to start to tell me what she wanted to do. And there was a couple things I even wanted to write that I just was like, nope, that's not wor- that's not working. I That's not her. She's telling me that that's not her. And I went back and, and rearranged it, changed it um, to get it just right. And one of the things that I did to kind of really, really run home this concept of narrative witchcraft is in the front of the book, you have the collection of stories in the back of the book, you have a collection of spells, rites, and charms that are extracted from these stories or inspired by the spirits within these stories. So I created a lot of narrative charms and in the back, there's a section called the red book. And in it, many of these charms will actually be invoking the spirit of the red mother. So here's an example. If, if, if you don't mind me sharing, no problem. So there's one called the 36 Knots of Healing. On a Sunday, take a thin red ribbon or some embroidery thread and tie 36 knots in it, which with each knot say the following cunning words. The red mother spins the master thread bearer. She ties up the knots that will heal the ill wearer. May it bind all ailments. May it diminish disease. The red mother wills it all maladies ease. And then you would take that and you'd say that for every every single knot. And then you would take it and you would tie it around the ankle or um, wrist of the person who is needing healing. Mm-hmm. And the concept is I'm talking about the Red Mother. I'm talking about aspects of her from the story. Mm-hmm. And the the charm itself, the spoken charm, it tells a mini story. It tells mm-hmm. who I'm calling the Red Mother. It tells that I'm what I'm using. It's the thread that she spun. It tells what it does is that it heals the ill wearer. 
And then it finishes by invoking the Red Mother wills it all maladies ease. It finalizes that story. And you'll notice throughout my book, there are a lot of these little narrative stories. And I feel like so many of us in witchcraft today are, are very used to um, rhyming couplets are always really fun, but mm-hmm. a lot of us are very, very used to spells that have been pre-written out for us in books. Things that are just kind of, this is the statement, this is what I want, this is what I desire. And maybe you have a deity in there if you're religious or or have a spirituality that, that surrounds um, deities in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're evoking them to do it. And I, I kind of wanted to take my craft a little bit of a different direction mm-hmm. because I'm working with the flow of folklore. I'm working with the flow of storytelling and there's magic in that. And I think, I think I'm hoping, and I, I would love to see that this inspires a shift into a new direction. Um, does that make sense? Oh yeah, completely. Okay, good, and I'm good. just kind of processing it. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And that's something I definitely encourage people to do. It's like, yeah, you can definitely use like pre-written spells and stuff, mm-hmm. but also learning why do spells work? What are the parts or spells? What might get them to function? Like what does it pertain to you? Do you what what are you gonna do to raise the energy? What are you gonna do to lower the energy? All the different things that can be part of it. But the creative part is definitely I feel like what could make something more personal. Even if you're using something as a base, as an example, you can tweak the spells to work for you because what maybe you don't have all the same ingredients, maybe it's the diff- wrong time of day, the wrong year, the time, whatever it is. Like there's so many creative aspects you can do if it's from the charms, the rhymes, the whatever, the poems you use or the visuals you use, um, the dance, the flow that you do, whatever you do, it could be creative. And, I, and I'm and i not sure if it was intentional or not, but my last episode was on not magic. Ah. And uh, <laughs> the funny thing is not magic keeps coming up for me in the past week and I don't think it was intentional. And I think it's awesome. I was like, well, good. I'm glad I did that episode. Um, I kept getting signs. Um, but yeah, there's so many different ways you can be creative with that. Like, um, Absolutely. for example, like with knitting or crocheting or just sewing in general Mm -hmm. you can create your own things or being creative with food and magic and working in the kitchen in whatever you're doing there's so many ways of creative and you don't just have to follow in i see it a lot they're like what should what do i need to do is it perfect? What is it? it doesn't even have to be perfect. Be There's creative. no such Allow thing Allow yourself perfect. to flow. If you're just trying to understand what it is you're doing, that's one thing because you want to kind of understand the basic concept. Mm-hmm. But you can be creative. That's where the intuition and do what works for you really works is because one, not all spells work for everyone or work every time. And I know you've made a post about that too. And I say it mm-hmm. all the time. Absolutely. You so know, we have to be creative. I know it's hard for those who are new and that's why kind of having things to reference are very good. But at some point you need to go beyond and push past your boundaries and see what really connects with you on a personal and emotional or religious level. And if maybe you haven't dove into a creative aspect, if it's art or learning about art or going to a museum like some people have the religious experiences looking at portraits and paintings in museums or i'm going to italy in a couple months so i am 
expecting to have a reaction to the architecture Absolutely. because I've studied it in school plus also with the research on mythologies and all the different things I'm expecting to have I'm expecting to cry at seeing a couple mm-hmm. things I'm going to look like the crazy American tourist because I've never seen anything older than 400 years old where I live but I'm expecting to emotionally allow the creativity of humankind to pierce my soul and just how much it's been a part of all of our lives. And sometimes we take it for granted and don't even realize it. Absolutely. I I know um, a few years back, I I did some traveling in Europe and we went to the, I'm probably not going to say it, the Familia sacred that it's the uh the gaudi cathedral which isn't technically mm-hmm. cathedral but everyone calls it gaudi cathedral and it's this if you haven't seen it i i recommend everyone look up the Gal- google the gaudi cathedral it is the most ornate collection of work done on i think a single building in the history of humankind this is my opinion of course it took over 500 years to build it has been each different side and inside areas have been done by different designers to try to either stay true or to evolve the initial aspect. And what's what's fascinating when you look this up, there is not a single corner or tile or or piece of cement that doesn't have some sort of extremely ornate creature, flower, art, swirl, spike. And and these these there I wouldn't even necessarily say gargoyles, but there are these like creatures and and gargoyles that are just crawling out of in between places that have been carved in in the stone and the marble and you can tell the person who created this the mind that put it together was absolutely thinking about things outside of just what would look pretty they were Mm -hmm. thinking about who is going to protect this building what eyes are going to keep an eye on this corner on this corner on this tower who is going to stand guard and and keep this cathedral safe who Mm -hmm. is going to watch the people that come in and out who's going to judge them who's going to bless them and you see these creatures you see these these depictions of not even just biblical art i'm talking about it's so hard to explain it. So I, 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 again, please go and Google the Gaudi Cathedral. It is absolutely breathtaking. And, and I'm not sure if you could see it from space, but it is, I swear, one of the, it is the tallest building across Barcelona by far. Um, it, it was definitely extremely monumental. And in the process of traveling, I got to see a lot of other places and I went to Rome and, when we talk about architecture, when we talk about magic and art, Rome is one of those really fascinating places, of course, because, you know, mm-hmm. Romans colonized it. And um, I remember looking at the ruins, going to the Colosseum, going to the old ruins, um, going to the Vatican. And, and in the ruins area, there was me and, and the person I was seeing at the time, we, we kind of followed this offbeaten path and we wound up up this wall and went down this walkway and we found this old, I mean, it was so old chapel it was this tiny little one-room chapel um i cannot believe it was even open to the public no one else was there it was so tiny and there on on the wall before going in was a depiction of the green man mm-hmm. and i don't know if anyone's ever looked this up if you look up uh, uh the green man it has a lot of history in it does in, he in, does and pagan 
belief systems. And it was very much not just adopted, but just kind of syncretized into the shift as Roman, as the Roman church took over, or Roman empire took over. And, and you'll start seeing the Seder squares in some of these places as well, which are so much older than the church in the first place, but they, mm-hmm. they were synchronized in. They were just kind of, let's just take them under our, you know what, we don't need to leave this behind. We can be the green man. That's just fine. Yep. And you start seeing the way that this architecture has snuck in things from centuries before its time. And that's magical. I don't, I did not go to that cathedral and think, because I'm not going to say I'm anti-Christian. I wouldn't say that, but I have a lot of Christian trauma. Mm -hmm. I did not feel that. I felt ancient roots. I felt deep, deep, deep spirit in this place. Um, I I think you're going to feel that when you travel and see all these old pieces of architecture in the first place. Absolutely. And you know what I even noticed too, which was fascinating. There was a huge obelisk. If you ever go to Rome, the center of Vatican City is a massive obelisk. And the obelisks were actually, um, if I believe, I I think I'm right on this, the obelisks themselves are actually remnants of, 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 again, pre-Christian era and a lot of the pagan years, uh, dating all the way back to Egypt. And to kind of just like fold that in to the Roman Empire, it was another way of syncretizing. So people over a period of hundreds of years slowly evolved, but they didn't feel like they were losing the things that have always been part of of their spiritual selves. And so I just remember being in the center of this, this Vatican City surrounded by by huge pillars and saints and angels looking over me and then this massive <laughs> egyptian pagan inspired uh, uh, obelisk in the in the center it was it's just it's fascinating and if you if you ever get the opportunity it is magical to experience yeah so those are all just wonderful examples of creativity that humans have mm-hmm. had and if it's for religious or even magical purposes there's things that at different various points, if it was considered normal part of culture, but we would consider it magical, like how we perceive the world can vary from time period to time period. But even just experiencing the creativity of humans and the development and the things that we are capable of is magical within itself, especially with thinking about how they created some of those things Absolutely. and how, like, how we can't do them in the same way that people did thousands of years ago is completely mind-boggling because even scientists and historians are still trying to figure out. And if you want to say aliens or not, whatever. But um, (laughs) um, good old History Channel. But if you want to say it's aliens or just how humans are just becoming less creative in different ways, um, maybe, who knows, maybe we're coming too industrial and maybe the further we get from nature, Mm -hmm. maybe it is affecting us in different ways. So maybe... Just being a part of nature could also um, inspire different kinds of creativity. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. I also wanted to mention before we get too far to the end, we brought up dance earlier. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one of those things that when it comes to witchcraft is so under discussed because I, I do identify, like I said, as a folkloric or even traditional witch, and, and traditional witchcraft in itself is very much inspired um, by uh, trial records from witch trials, it's inspired by um, story tales and folklore and, and old cunning practices. And many of these old trial records all included dancing. Mm-hmm. So, so when we think about, um, say, pagan events or 
uh, group circles, covens, sabbats. When mm-hmm. we think about these things, dancing is all involved because yeah. it's always been a part of 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 magic. It's always been a part of moving with the spirit. And many times today, I think that we get such great elation from dance. Like you go to a club, you have a couple drinks, you dance. It feels great. I think we can totally work on tapping into that when it comes to our craft. Um, I live on the second floor. I can't really dance that super hard at my altar, (laughs) but, but I mean, I remember going out to the woods and kind of, you know, have, throwing a little bit of a fire play, a fire pit or a bonfire and dancing around it. Um, I think the visage we have of, you know, naked people dancing and floating around a huge bonfire and, and some horned creature just being like the, the, the witch father or the folkloric devil looking over it. And it's, it's these fantastic pizza pieces of pizza, <laughs> fantastic pizza, <laughs> pieces of art that really, really inspire the visage of the witch um my my podcast co-host he they very much use um dance and ecstatic dance uh as part of their craft and a lot of times it's not some sort of choreographed movement it's i'm getting on the floor i'm throwing my body around it's sometimes visceral it's a way to kind of remove yourself from the normal everyday movements of one step forward, mm-hmm. you know, put my weight here. Instead, you're throwing your body into a, an ecstatic, spirit-inspired way of of emoting without words, but with breath, with movement. Yep. Sometimes it's fluid. Sometimes it's beautiful. Maybe you're doing a love working. Maybe you're doing something that's calming. Maybe you're doing something that's joyful. Maybe it's chaotic and frantic. Maybe it hurts a little bit. Maybe maybe you even, you know, uh, are doing something barefoot on gravel to feel the grit beneath your, your, your toes. You're feeling, I'm not going to tell you when to go out there and, you know, do anything super painful, but, but to kind of feel that maybe that darkness you're wanting to sow, mm-hmm. maybe that bane you're wanting to send out. We can emote with our bodies just as well as we can with with our words. As Ursa likes to say, don't forget there's always body language. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's so many things we can do creative that's not just the stereotypical thing. And I think that's kind of the point and we were getting – to during this episode, if it's from mm-hmm. architecture to using our voices and writing or writing a book, you're self-publishing a book I and am. that's coming out soon. So that is its own form of creativity for you. And for those who maybe like writing, but don't want to publish a book, you can do that with your grimoires or your book of shadows. Or if you just mm-hmm. want to do a blog for me, the podcast is a very creative thing. Absolutely. Even, th- even though I do creative things full time and I don't do it at the same level or the same capacity because I still want to enjoy it and I want to keep it fun. So I keep mm-hmm. it a little more lighthearted for me just because eight forty 40 hours a week of doing serious stuff is a little bit draining, but oh, yeah. There's still being creative is such a big part of my normal life and it always has been. And I think a good example, and I think I've either talked to people about it before or brought it up in past episodes, that Disney movie called Soul about oh. finding something that gets you into your zone mm-hmm. and how you could do the same thing for witchcraft if it's through drawing, getting into like that personal meditative state through mm. music, through dance through art, 
through whatever it is for you. Be creative and find what gets you into that zone if you want to add it to your magic, if you want to add it to your rituals. Even if you're just pagan and religious and you want to use it as a devotional or to show your love or to show yourself honoring whoever you're working with or for ancestor working, what if you work with necromancy. There's so many creative ways you can use to work with magic or just sp- your spirituality. And um, Absolutely. So before we go, are there any last little tidbits of anything just off the top of your head you would like to share or anything else that you're working on or would like to uh, throw out there before we go? Yeah. Um, I would like to offer a challenge to our listeners today. Um, I would challenge our listeners to find a piece of art in your home or or one that you say pass by regularly. And instead of just kind of, you know, seeing it and moving on, take a minute to stop and stare at it. Is there a story in there? Can you think of a story? It doesn't matter how silly or stupid or short um, it may be. But when you look at it, I, I, I challenge you, are there characters in there? Are there people in there? What are they thinking? What were their lives like? Where were they born? How old are they? Are they married? Are they gay? Are they straight? Are they trans? Are they they from this planet? What are their names? I want you to think about what their lives are like. What's what's the background? What's the scenery? Um, I want you to take a moment to build a world for a piece of art that you see on a regular basis and don't even pay much mind to. It will change the way you see the world around you constantly what secrets do they have what have they seen is it old how many thousands of people have they seen look at them in that picture i i think that's going to change the way that you see spirit in art and architecture and in words and poetry you don't have to write it down if you, if you do if you are so inspired by the piece of art that you're like i have a story i've got to write this story I deeply encourage you to do that. I think that there are stories around us that we miss all the time because we're just not paying attention. That's an awesome challenge. I like that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And lastly, my book Cunning Words is out on <laughs> is yep. out on on March twentieth. It's called Cunning Words: A Grimoire of Tales and Magic. It is a collection of witchcraft um, told through the form of narrative, uh, uh, rhyme, and verse beautiful i'm excited for it to come out thank so you. uh yeah thank you for coming on the podcast again I, I i enjoy this conversation one as a creative person as well but also just someone who wants to help the listeners develop who they are and to push mm-hmm. them past their boundaries and if they're interested in advancing who they are i've recently talked to um stuff from which wednesdays about different ways to advance yourself if you feel like you're getting into a rut even if you don't feel like you're advanced in general, mm-hmm. if you feel like you're in a rut, maybe adding something different, like maybe adding a dance, maybe adding a song, maybe adding music or some sort of personal storytelling can completely, like you said, change the way you view things around you or the value if it's through animism or just experiencing the history of humankind and the creativity and the magic we've had throughout our history. So there's so many things that could come from that. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. And like I say every week, I appreciate every single one of you. Have a great one. Blessed be. Blessed be.